Benders, and welcome to I Like to Movie Movie, the podcast about movie movies. My name is Garrett Smith. My name is Dan Scully. And uh, today we are joined uh, by two very special guests uh, that I'm going to have introduce themselves in a moment, but uh, they are the writers of Summer of 84, which we did an episode on, I don't know, uh, five episodes ago now with uh, our friend Rosalie Kicks. So uh, Matt Leslie, Stephen J. Smith, why don't you guys uh, introduce yourselves to uh, to our audience? Uh, cool. Yeah. So uh, this is Matt. Um and uh yeah i don't know what, what do you guys want for intros i mean just like quick backstory or oh no just uh you know uh, uh i guess say hello and uh <laughs> you know i guess if you want to uh we uh, honestly a lot of times what we do off the top is just plug ourselves yeah so that uh you know that way people don't tune out before you get to do that and then uh and then yeah we can we can hit backstories and that kind of stuff we can keep it casual all right cool so i've already nailed it <laughs> yeah yeah you're in you're good all right Exactly. So that's Matt. And, uh, and this is Stephen J. Smith. Hey, Stephen. Um, yeah, so we were, we were talking to you guys just before we started recording. We got Matt is uh, calling in here from L.A. And uh, Steve, you're in Wisconsin. I am just outside Milwaukee. Frozen Milwaukee. Yeah. Yeah, we just finally hit the cold part of the year here. We did. Um, so uh, you Wait, get, question for yeah. you about Milwaukee. I just have to know this. Do it. Is Milwaukee's best actually Milwaukee's best... <laughs> Or is that just something they say to try and impress me? Milwaukee's best is Milwaukee's best if you're from Milwaukee. But if you're okay. outside of Milwaukee, I think there are other things that I would say are better. <laughs> so fair enough. Yep. <laughs> fair enough. Oh, good. I but so I, I I'm sorry if I'm doing the math. That means Milwaukee's best is the only beer available in Milwaukee. <laughs> it is the it is the local favorite in Milwaukee. Okay. So All yeah, right, fair. yeah. Okay, understood. I wasn't sure if they were just like tooting their horn, like like Pabst Blue Ribbon when they invented a ribbon and then awarded it to themselves. <laughs> it feels cheap. Yeah, well, we, you know, Pabst is the in the area as well. We had the Pabst Mansion here and all of that kind of thing. So, you know, Pabst is a big part of Milwaukee. Yeah, we love our beer here, our beer and our cheese. So it's it's true. The rumors are true. Oh, right on. I really do want to go to Milwaukee for many reasons, but beer and cheese are like in the top five. So right on. Definitely. Yeah, it was it was really cool. I had never been either. And um, Steve got us both on a panel for the Milwaukee Film Festival. So I got to fly out there for a, for a long weekend. Uh, and the weather was beautiful. Downtown was great. Uh, it was it was a really cool, a really cool thing to be a part of. And actually, Steve, what was the name? What was the name of that hotel that's haunted that has a really awful name? <laughs> it's called the Fister, spelled with a P and an F. Yeah, <laughs> and I was right next to that, and every time I walked by, I turned into a giggling toddler. I was just like, every time I saw the sign, and apparently it's super haunted. So I was like, I got to stay at the Fister next time. You do. I never Very thought cool. I'd say, but that's amazing. Is it actually like literally Fister, or is there one of those silent P's it's on silent. the beginning? There is a yeah. silent P. Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, there you go. I, I just saw the new Get Fisted. Uh, I just saw the new Jay and Silent Bob movie last night, and Fister definitely sounds like a like business that would exist <laughs> oh, in, the, yeah. in the world of Jay and Silent Bob. Come on. So uh, before we get started, you talked about how you met in Los Angeles. How, yeah, tell us the story about how you guys came together as writers here. Yeah. Sure, yeah. Okay, so um so I moved to LA after college and uh 
I joined this writer's group that was in like the living room of this producer who had done like a couple horror movies in the nineties. And it was one of those deals where like you bring in 10 pages a week and then you go round robin and everybody reads it out loud so you can hear it. And then you give each other notes. And uh, when I joined, Matt was also one of the newer guys in the group. And so we, you know, liked each other's notes, liked each other's story sensibility. And then uh, over time, people dropped out of the group as they got agents and stuff. And then Matt and I were kind of like the old guys in the group after a little while. And then from there, we uh, we signed up for this this two year course called the Writers Boot Camp in Santa Monica. And just randomly, without planning it, we were in each other's class. And so we we're like, oh, it's you. Cool. You know, like talked about writing stuff together at that point. But we were kind of still doing our own thing. And then I ended up having to move back to Wisconsin for work. And when I got here, I found this contest online that was write a script in 30 days or less and submit it. And so I sent Matt an email and I said, hey, I found this thing super low commitment. It's one month. Like we should just try it. We talked about writing stuff together. Let's do it. And so we decided to, we came up with like a, a really kind of formulaic uh, rom-com from a male perspective and wrote it in the 30 days. We actually did it. And then we ended up winning the whole contest. No way. Oh, that's so exciting. Yeah. That's very yeah. Cool. And it was like, it was like 1500 entrants. So like not a huge, huge thing, but not small either. And then so we're like, oh, maybe we should keep doing this. And then uh, we literally have written everything together since then. So, and that was like in 2011. And so here we are in 2019. Hilariously though, I think we both thought we made it once we won that competition. You were yeah. like, oh, cool. We get a meeting with APA. We're probably just going to sell screenplays now. Yep. <laughs> not, not what happened, but yeah, that's a whole other story. <laughs> once this podcast drops, I think you'll be able to say that you made it. I think so. It feels like it. Here we go. All right, cool. Um, so, well, that, what's interesting to me about that is like, that's all stuff that like I hear about and I'm always like, oh yeah, I wonder how beneficial those things are. Like a writer's meeting like that, where you get together with people or like entering a contest like that. And mm -hmm. it's like, you guys are, are evidence that it's like, yeah, all those things are beneficial if you're like actually putting the work in and like putting yourself out there with them, you know? For sure. I think that's the key is like, you have to do the work and you kind of have to go in like with, you know, proper expectations of what it is, you know, like you're workshopping yeah. your material. You're not going to sell it in the room to 10 other writers or that kind of, you know, like you're there for, to work on your craft and get better, you know? Yep. Yeah. And so cool. are you writing long distance from one another? Yeah. How does that work? That, that sounds frustrating <laughs> no it's it's actually it's actually been great we've got a really good thing at this point i mean we you know we, we've actually pretty seamlessly worked together from the jump um we have i think we have a very uh compatible temperament and we sort of strip ego out of everything like if he's ever just like dude i don't think that's a good idea like i seriously take that into consideration and change what i'm you know and vice versa so but but in terms of how we work it's like we do it over phone calls we don't use skype we just use the phone um, we'll just do marathon phone calls and we're breaking story. And then once we've got a uh, treatment kind of broken out, um, we break it into 12 sequences. Most of our treatments are between 20 and 25 pages and we'll write every other sequence. So I'll write all the evens, he'll write all the odds or vice versa. And then we flip flop and rewrite each other's pages. Uh, and if during this phase, we're not really on the phone. We're just sort of doing our thing, writing. Uh, occasionally touching base to if we have questions or if there's anything we want to stray sort of from the treatment at all. And, um, and then once we're done uh, writing like a rough draft based on that treatment, then we get back on the phone. And that's like, again, marathon phone calls where we sort of go over the draft that we have, fixing it page by page together. That way it reads like one cohesive voice, because obviously when you have two of us, the key, the, the most important thing, apart from it being good, is that it sounds like one person wrote it versus two different people. So 
That's uh, but it but it's been working out great. That kind of blew my mind a little bit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you mind if I ask some like really nitty gritty questions about that process? Because I'm for fascinated sure. by that. Go for it. So twelve. You said twelve sequences. Where where yeah. where does that number come from? Like what 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 is there a a reason for that? How are you how are you deciding that it's twelve ahead of time? I'm, I'm fascinated by this. That's such precise math. Yeah, we, it's a uh, it's kind of like a modified version of something we learned in that writer's boot camp program okay. that I learned. So they like they break things up into twelve sequences of like to help you out with you. A lot of a lot of writers get stuck in the second act. Like, where do I go? The second act is like you know sixty pages of a one hundred and twenty page script. So it's a <laughs> lot of stuff to cover. Yeah. So they kind of they break it up and they say like, well, in this sequence this should happen. This sequence that mm-hmm. should happen. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of like we modified that a little bit like we don't follow exactly what they do, but but we liked the math of that and it worked out really well. So it's basically like in a 120 page script, which if you guys aren't familiar, a script is like a minute of movie per page of screenplay. So um, so it it works out to, you know, about like 10 pages. And so it's 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 a perfect little like sequence that you can do and then jump around. And so we we just picked up that tool and ran with it and it works out great for us. I love that. That's like that. um... I heard Dimitri Martin say once, I think that he turns everything into games because that's mm-hmm. like what helps him accomplish things is to break them down into like, here's my next game is to get my laundry done in 30 minutes. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it, yep. Giving it rules and giving it like a goal and an end point helps him just like accomplish tasks. You guys have all sure. collectively improved my life. That's how I'm going to do my chores now, Garrett. So thank you for that. Yeah. And uh, when I write, I'm going to break it down into 12 little chunks. Yeah done Excellent. yeah it's good because yeah. each chunk each sequence has a beginning middle and an end and its own ebb and flow ebb and flow and sort of structure and then obviously that's the microcosm to the macrocosm which is the bigger picture of all 12 sequences together and those sort of main plot beats that we're all familiar with with break into two and midpoint and low point and all that kind of stuff yeah and there's yeah. enough pieces that you can like fuck with the formula of just three acts blah 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 uh with all those pieces in there you can kind of you know play uh, be playful with the structure i i like that Yep. Right. It's yep. also interesting because typically Matt will do the odds and I'll do the evens, which means he's really good at starting movies now. And I'm pretty good at ending movies now. <laughs> and when we actually when we talk to people in person, I find that that's how it usually works, too. Matt will start talking and I'll finish the thought. It's, a, it's yeah. pretty funny. And actually, to that end, uh, one of the things that I know people over and over again have said about Summer of 84 that they love is the final sequence in the movie where Mr. Mackey has that monologue where he, you know, he sort of like levels the main character, Davey. Like, dude, Steve wrote that whole thing. And I remember I didn't even touch it because it was so good when he finished it. I was like, I don't want to touch any of this. This is like my, I was just like, I have goosebumps reading it. It's, I mean, I don't want to pick favorites here, but that is for sure my favorite thing yep. in that movie. I, I love that yep. sequence. I also want to point out, though, you guys just did the opposite. Because, Steve, you just set up that story, and then, Matt, you brought it well, home. Well, because I'm the wild card, That's too. True. So That's true. I'm the work. wild card, too. So. Yeah, oh, <laughs> have a fucking wild card. Oh, right on. Oh, man. Um, so, uh, uh, one more process thing, because I was thinking about this as you were talking, too. So, do you guys have, like, a shared document that you're working from this whole time? Do you take individual notes while you're on the phone together that then you kind of bring back together at some point? Like, how has that kind of come together as eventually one document? Um, well, yeah, so we do – we use Google Docs. Okay. Um, so so we, we sort of – I don't know if Steve has a separate thing where he creates his own notes and stuff. I don't. I kind of just put all my thoughts in the Google Doc, and then we kind of note it up, too. So, you know, like – we'll put like our treatment and the character breakdowns and everything like that. And we'll build it out in the Google doc. And then, you know, I'll add notes and Steve will add notes. So I'm assuming Steve, you just do the same thing, right? Like you don't have a separate, are you keeping things from me, Steve? No, 
<laughs> I mean, sometimes, sometimes, but usually not. Yeah. Steve's writing so, secret movies in the background. <laughs> yeah, he's just he's just killing it and making all kinds of money and yeah. unbelievable. Yeah, spring of '85 is actually almost done. <laughs> I just don't know about it yet. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, but yeah, so that's that's kind of how we work. And then in terms of when we actually write the script, because we have to be able to collaborate in real time, we use something called writer duet. Um, which allows us, it's basically just like a Google Doc, but with screenplay formatting. And it's been uh, a really useful tool for us because Final Draft, as much as we would love to use Final Draft just because it's like industry standard, their collaborating, their collaborating software is so bad. Like, That's not to talk back because, yeah, dude, like it's, you can't, it's turn-based. So like, and it also yeah. doesn't sync online. So like, I can't work, like if Steve creates it, I can't work on it when Steve's not in there with me and vice versa. And like, you got to save offline so you could like lose like different drafts and stuff. So what's great about writer duet is it's backing up constantly to their servers. Um, it's, you know, it, it's, it's all in real time. It's, it's great. It's really, it's been a use, incredibly useful tool for us. It saves us so much time. I've never heard of that before. That's so cool. Yeah. We both still have the, the day job thing going too. So it, it really helps to have sort of like an online based program because it's like, you know, we'll get a note or we'll have a thought or something and we'll email each other and be like, Hey, can you check this out for a second? You just pop open the doc, you look at it, you make any changes and you close it. And it's great. Like you don't need the, the actual software yeah. on the desktop or anything. Yeah. That's, we're both day jobbers too. So what, mm. so what about that part of your process? Like where are you guys squeezing in the time to, to write a screen screenplay, like in your, you know, your day-to-day -day life? It's, uh, well, I, I won't speak for Matt because Matt's in a little bit of a different situation, but I have the, the nine to six thing going on. So, and then I have two little kids too. So basically yeah. I do the nine to six thing. I come home, I do the family time, I get the kids to bed. And then at about 10 PM, my time is when, you know, it becomes screenplay time. And then I'm, I'm up until two thirty, three o'clock every night, basically yeah. either on the phone with Matt or writing one of the, yeah. one or the other. It's crazy for him. I don't know how he does it. Thank you so much for making time for our show. <laughs> <Yeah>. Jesus. <laughs> Incredible. That is ridiculous. I mean, I, like, uh, so Dan and I both used to do stand-up comedy, and I, I basically had to stop because I couldn't keep doing things until 2 in the morning every night anymore. Mm -hmm. I, had to, yeah. I had to start sleeping. There's a reason why successful comics kind of all look the same. Yeah. <laughs> and it's because they, they did the same thing to their body. Yeah, 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 yeah I'm with you. Yeah, that is, uh, boy, that that sounds like a nightmare. But thanks for making cool movies. Of course. You know. Yeah, it's 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 even rough for me, and it's starting at eight o'clock LA time when we hop on. Okay. Uh, yeah. Seven thirty, eight o'clock LA time, and then I'm up until we're always at least you know typically until midnight or something. Like like Steve said, which is like two in the morning his time. So it's uh you know it's challenging, but we get it done. You know, it's like we both are fully determined that this is this is going to be the full time gig in a very short amount of time, and we have like yep. all these irons on the fire that like could be the one that's the one that lets us go full time and so we're just uh hoping it happens sooner than later so that steve can finally get some sleep oh, <laughs> <That'd be yeah. laughs> i can't wait to see all these irons come yeah. out of the fire and well, so i can watch them let, let me mm -hmm. ask you that if you guys don't mind talking about it then like uh if you don't mind maybe walking me through the experience of so you guys go from you know winning a contest for a screenplay that you write to to getting a screenplay produced um with some cool up-and-coming filmmakers summer of 84 Mm -hmm. what what happens after that like what does it feel like to have that movie get across the finish line like that do you know uh it, it's like a pretty well-regarded movie and I, I believe it's is it a shutter exclusive at this point uh it, it is, is the shutter exclusive, exclusive yeah. for asphalt yeah right yes. um which is you know a very cool like that uh, shutter is 
probably my favorite streaming service right now. Like I, I watch a ton of their stuff. I, I think the Shutter exclusive label is actually like a, a pretty, pretty solid, cool, yeah. solid label. Yeah, I um, trust it. Yeah, but so anyway, that's the so, sentiment amongst horror fans, right? Though, and that's why it's cool for things like Summer of '84 because when Shutter drops an exclusive, yeah. I think horror fans we all technically we we tend to just go, oh, yeah, I'll this, check this, this out. This will be good. I'm going to watch mm-hmm. this. So, yeah, they've done a really good job over the last two years too. Because I have to say, when we found out that we were going to be a Shutter exclusive, I was like, what the hell is Shutter? This is like two years ago. They weren't really the brand that they right, are yeah. now. You know, Steve and I were both like, wait, what a minute! You're gonna, you're gonna, ha- we're gonna be on shutter like what you know because well you guys were uh, one of the first shutter exclusives right you were like pretty we were yeah yeah Yeah. i i think we actually might have been the first shutter exclusive if i'm not mistaken that that sounds right to me yeah um so at the time we were nervous about it but they've done such a killer job in in the in the two years since then of building like a really solid brand with just you know if anybody who's into horror is loves shutter and it ended up being a really good thing i think for our movie because now you know we're on a on our movie because it's like it's it's exactly the, the demo that wants to see this kind of thing, you know? So it's, it's been great. Um, yeah. But just to kind of give you the background of how we went from, you know, the screenwriting competition to getting a movie made. Um, yeah. You know, we both want to be empowered writers. I think one of the worst things about being a writer is there's a sort of impotence you feel because you can write something and then you have to wait for people to do things on your behalf. And we're both like hustlers. We don't want to just like, wait and let things sort of unfurl in their own due time we want to make things happen so at the time i was living uh in la and i went and got a job working for a producer named matt alvarez matt was a um matt produced like the ride-along movies Mm, and all all, basically was ice cubes producing partner so i went and worked for matt i was his assistant for a year and then i became his development executive for a couple years and worked on the movie straight out of compton did really heavy development on Straight of Compton with like, you know, Dr. Dre and Cube and all those guys, which was surreal and got to work with this guy, Scott Bernstein, who was the EVP of production at Universal Pictures. Uh, so I got to work really closely with him. So when Straight of Compton finished, I left Matt Alvarez to go work for Scott Bernstein as his development executive. And when I was working for him is when I had a general meeting with RKSS, Rogue Chill Superstar, the guys who directed Summer of 84. Um, oh, yeah. And it was kind of like one of those moments where um, I had seen a trailer for Turbo Kid and I could tell that they really got the sensibility of nostalgia and sort of like tapping into a bygone era as a way to evoke emotion in, in the audience. Because Turbo Kid, I had only seen the trailer at that point, but the trailer was like so evocative of that kind of sentiment and, and it was really cool. And so anyway, I, when, I, when I met with them, I had told Steve, I'm like, I think I'm going to pitch them Summer of 84 if... Uh, if the meeting goes well, which I normally wouldn't do because that was a personal project. And, you know, it's, that's not exactly like something that's that's uh, sort of normal to do. But uh, <laughs> I'm in the meeting with them and I always ask filmmakers, like, what are your five favorite movies? Because a lot of times a filmmaker made like, say, a thriller, but they, t- they tell you their five favorite movies and they're all sci-fi. And you realize like, oh, OK, that's kind of where this person's going to be going versus what their first movie was. And they started naming all the movies we were referencing to write Summer of 84. They were like Fright Night, The Burbs, Rear Window, The Goonies. We were just like, I was sitting there in the room, like, all right, I have to pitch you guys something. And so I pitched them Summer of 84, which we had as a a treatment at that point. And they were like, oh my God, we love it. Like, as soon as the script is done, send it to us. We'd love to to check it out. And obviously there's no commitment in the room at that point because there was no script. But, um, you know, we, we quickly wrote the script and sent it to them and they hopped on board. Uh, and so then from there, uh, it was kind of about us trying to find the money. Um, and that's when we met with um, these guys, Cody Zwig and Mike Flavin, who were at a company uh, at the time called, uh, Steve, are you remember, what was 
it was super gravity, right? Yeah, super gravity. Super gravity. And then super gravity, like they loved the the summer of eighty four and they loved RKSS, but they didn't have the money to finance it. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were trying to help us in other ways. It just wasn't gonna work out. Um six months later I saw Cody at a at a uh, like a uh, development exec sort of uh Christmas or holiday event. And he was like, we're being acquired by a company called Gunpowder and Sky. And mark my words, I'm going to make your movie. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, in February, we went in. Um, this guy, Van Toffler, who's like, OG, like ran MTV for, you know, 20 something years, just like made tons of cool movies, Napoleon Dynamite, all, all these different movies. We, we pitched him and he was like, let's go make a movie. So it just kind of like, it just the stars kind of aligned in a really nice way in addition to like the hustling that we were trying to do with it. And, yeah, um, you, and then we got to go make our movie. You ended up in the right meeting and then it sounds like it just snowballed, which is wild. And for you to yeah. be able like to call your shot, to know that that was the right meeting, you oh, know, yeah. to be sitting there and be like, this is the meeting. This is when I bring this up. That's a cinematic moment in and of itself <laughs> yeah. where the, the inspiration hits you. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to pitch. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to pitch my movie. Yeah. yeah it was, oh, it was definitely pretty it. cool. It was cool. Yeah, I man. pictured you as Matt Damon doing that. I just that's how oh, that's it was what happened. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's very cool. Uh, so, well, let's talk about that because you guys, we we got you in here today to to talk about the Burbs, which I'm very excited to talk to you guys about because it is a big influence on your movie, Summer of '84. Mm-hmm. Um, which, uh, I, so I'll, I'll guess I'll be upfront about this. I had seen the Burbs. It turns out, I think as a kid, like on Comedy Central but spent most of my life thinking I'd never seen the burbs. Cause I don't, re- I didn't remember anything about Correction. it. Correction. It was on TBS. Okay. There you go. Yes, <laughs> that sounds right. <laughs> Always on TBS. Cause that's how I had seen the burbs yeah. for most of my life. That as might well. be yeah. it. Yeah. But so then, so I, I watched it this week so that we could, we could talk about it. And I was like, Oh yeah, I've definitely seen this movie. Like I remembered so much about that movie as I was sitting watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was, uh, it was very interesting to be coming off the heels of watching your movie, summer of 84, to then watch the burbs thinking I, I didn't, I hadn't really seen it and being like, Oh yeah, I I've seen all these stars a lot now. It's like, Hey, hey, hey I got, I got, I got it. It was very interesting. I, the burbs was great. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, you know, it's, it's, I think it's probably, uh, and I won't speak for Steve, but I know Steve likes the movie, but for me, I think it may be the movie I've seen the most ever. Oh wow. And I don't know what it is, but this movie, like it like speaks to my soul in some weird way for some reason. Like I grew up watching it. It came out in 89. Yeah. And I remember watching it even back then. And I think it's because I kind of grew up uh, and Steve also kind of did in, in, a, in a neighborhood in the suburbs. It's very similar. And we both kind of had this thing where we had weird neighbors that we were like, they're, they've got to be killing people in there. Like, I don't, I don't ever see this guy like where, you know, what's going on. And, you know, it sort of makes your mind go, um, go kind of wild. And uh, there's just something about that theme of like, what's really going on behind closed doors. And, and uh uh, sort of patting Steve on the back one more time. He wrote this one line in summer of 84 that I, that I think is my favorite line in the movie where he, you know, they're the uh, Davy's parents are sort of talking about the neighbors and then Davy's father goes, well, that's why they invented curtains, hon. You know, cause it's like, <laughs> you don't really know what's happening with people. You think you know them and you don't. And I think that's what I love about the burbs too, is like these people move in and the whole neighborhood is just like, Oh my God, these people have to be killing people. And of course, then it kind of goes from there and, in a really fun way, but I just love that movie. Yeah. I love how it sort of, uh, it reveals the demented nature of the people who thought they were normal as well. (laughs) Yeah. Their reaction to that situation is so over the top that, that, you know, by the end it's like, Oh, these people are monsters (laughs) and you know, they're not killing people, but they're very close. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, Tom Hanks has that great monologue at the end of it, yep. you know, where he's yelling at Art, and he's just like, you know, like, you know, the monsters aren't them, it's us. It's We're us. those guys. Yeah. You know? It's amazing. Yeah, you know? it's so true. Yeah, that I so you know, I I like uh, I'm a pretty big Joe Dante fan. I, I I like his movies quite a bit, and the the thing that is like so funny about his movies to me that this has that all the other ones have is like they're zany. Yeah. They mm-hmm. are like, he, you know, he did eventually get to make his like Looney Tunes movie, mm-hmm. but you can see that that's like what he wanted to make his entire career. All of his movies have this like kind of Looney Tunes nature mm-hmm. to them. Oh, for mm-hmm. sure. Yep. Like when they find the bone under the it. fence and it's like that, that yes. zooming in and out and they're screaming like, yeah. Yeah. I think if, oh, yeah. I think if yeah. I watched that movie today, if it came out today and I watched it for the first time, I'd be like, what is this movie? Like, I don't, you know, it's a <laughs> yeah. nostalgia hook for me. <laughs> But I think if I watched it as an adult for the first time, I'd be like, this is not good. <laughs> but, you know, it's like it's, it's just worked for when it, when it came out. I understand that, like, despite it being a financial success when it came out, it was, like, not necessarily well-loved. For sure. Yeah, I think if you ask most people, they haven't seen it. And, and so now it's, you know, it's grown in esteem. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I spent most of my life thinking I hadn't seen it until I, until I watched it the other night, and I was like, oh, yeah, I've seen this. Now, I understand that this movie, at least what I know about it, um, as it was being written, and I think this contributes a little bit to the uh, the Looney Tunes nature. Sorry, as it was being shot, there was a, a writer's strike. Oh, okay. And so because of the yep. writer's strike, uh, Dana Olson, I believe is the screenwriter, could not be, uh, couldn't be on set to do rewrites, was not able to do that. Whoa. And so as a result, a lot of the movie is improvised. And yeah, I so think Joe Dante encouraged people to just kind of like, okay, just go with your goofy instincts and yeah. see what happens. So mm-hmm. instead, they let the uh, the limo driver from Blank Check do most of the yeah. writing on set. <laughs> well, they uh, they did employ him as an actor. He plays an extra somewhere, mm-hmm. and uh, that way he could be on set and sort of contribute well, no, the, um, doing the thing. The uh, the the neighbor character. I don't know that actor's name. Uh, the but but the main neighbor character, uh, Walter, the guy who the guy's name's Art Weingartner in the yeah. movie, like. Yeah, the, yeah. Uh, Dick, his name is Dick Dukeman. Yes, Dick Dukeman. He he plays the uh, the limo driver that the little kid hires in Blank Check. Oh, that's, that's like, amazing. That's what I know him from most. He's kind of everywhere though. Like yeah. he was. Um, I know he was. Uh, what's her name's. Oh, he was in scary movie as as Cindy's uh, dad. I believe he's he was. also. He was like I believe in Die Hard. He's the guy that has to cut the power lines. Mm-hmm. He is the guy yep. that has yeah. to cut the power lines, and I believe he cuts the power lines in, in this the movie bird. as well. He does. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, it's it's very clear that that guy is like doing most of his own like they they're just letting him run, you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. Through, like most of that. Movie. Yeah, yeah, he yeah. steals so many scenes in that in that yeah. in the burbs. It's, it's pretty amazing. And I understand too that him and uh, Tom Hanks didn't actually really get along. Okay. Oh no! Way. He's so funny, and Tom Hanks is such a professional yeah. that it's like, yeah, I mean, we're gonna do it. We're gonna make the burbs. Yeah, yeah you'd yeah. never know. That's amazing. No. And I love that it's like Bruce Dern, who's like this critically acclaimed actor now playing this like insane, you know, army, like whatever guy next door. It's just so funny. Mm-hmm. Rumsfeld. Rumsfeld, yeah. yeah. Which is so, so close to Rumsfeld. Yeah, yeah Rumsfeld, yeah. <laughs> He is so funny in this movie. When we were watching it, uh, Tori, my girlfriend, we were watching it, and she goes, what do you think he's like? <laughs> <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's uh, that's good, because we also, uh, have you guys ever seen uh, Walter Hill's movie, The Driver? Oh, no, no but I mean to. He stars in that one. I actually I actually saw that recently, that I'm like, I have to watch that. It looks, I heard it's great. It's one of my favorite movies, and Bruce Dern is incredible in it because um, uh, um, 
what's his name now that uh, Ryan O'Neill plays the lead and he's like a classic, like silent cowboy type mm-hmm. character. Mm-hmm. So you just have this like main character that really doesn't speak that much. And so Bruce Dern is just like, he plays like a motor mouth detective that's after him. Mm-hmm. And he he's so crazy in the driver. And so watching this, I was like, it's so funny that like, I, I don't know. So, cause I think of Bruce Dern now as like this sort of like, you know, elder statesman, like highly regarded, like <laughs> yep. Yep. But he's all, mm-hmm. like he can still play as baddie. Oh yeah, he yeah. never doesn't play a little baddie. Yeah, it, but when you go, yeah, true. Once upon a time, yeah. Oh yeah, it's like going back and watching some of these other roles from him. It's like, oh, this guy's just like out of his mind. Like he's just <laughs> like he's a crazy person. You'd be crazy too if you were born at the age of fifty-two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, for a long time, like, I, I can't remember when I saw The Burbs the first time, but I guarantee you it's just like you were saying. Like, it was had to have been on, like, basic cable somewhere or something. And oh, yeah. for years and years, like, Bruce Dern was, you know, like, the part of the movie that I would quote all the time with my brothers and, like, just loved that. Yeah, so much. yeah, and, like, and then I was watching it again this week kind of in prep for this. And, you know, just he has so many, like, little funny asides in the movie, too, yeah. you know? When, like, Tom Hanks is like, why didn't you go up on that light pole? And Bruce Dern just kind of, like, quietly said, I was like, it's so high. You know, <laughs> He's like, it's so great that he can be like so big and zany in the movie and then have those little quiet moments, too. That's just like underscore how brilliant it is. Yeah, it, it is. It is very like the four. It's a very zany movie. Like I keep wanting to use the word zany because I feel like that is actually the most accurate way to describe. How about, how about kooky? It. It's a little kooky. kooky. Yeah, yeah. yeah kooky. It's, real zany. Mm-hmm. it's not goofy. No, 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 no. But, but for, it's a little kooky. For as kooky as it is, it, like all of the characters do have these sort of like very grounded moments, mm-hmm. and like just enough of them that I think the movie does actually still like work and hold up for me. Yeah. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yep, like, for me too. Watching it this week, I was like having such a good time with it. And I think it's because like Tom Hanks is great in yeah. this movie. Mm-hmm. And he like he does some really interesting performance things that allow him to be a very big comedic character but still feel like an actual like husband that's living mm. this life in yeah. the suburbs. Yeah, you know what I mean? Sure. He's like being driven crazy by his like, basically just like, uh, uh, what's the word for it? Like life of stasis where like everything is just mm. constantly the same. Mm-hmm. And it's like driving him nuts, you know? Yep. Um, and, and uh, yeah, like you guys are saying, like even Dern's character who is like, He's literally like, uh, you know, dressed in like military fatigues at the time. He's like, he is a cartoon character. Yeah. Still have <laughs> these like grounded little moments that like, I don't know, it just keeps the movie feeling like it 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 is on a track of some kind. You know what I mean? It's not like off the rails or anything, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, which is pretty impressive. Like that feels like yep. it must be like a a well-scripted thing, but it sounds like that's like not necessarily the case if it was in the midst of a, a writer's strike that they were they were trying to perform. No, I... I actually have there's a there's a website I think it's called like Scriptfly or something where you can buy uh, screenplays that you can't maybe find a PDF of online and that was one of the ones that I bought is The Burbs years ago and I read it years ago and I so I can't remember the differences but it's very different than the movie interesting yeah like and, and I don't know if it was obviously it wasn't the shooting script so I don't know which draft it was but it's like I said it's very different and uh, like in a way where you're like whoa this is this is just a totally this is kind of very different movie. I was reading into that a little bit today, and in the original ending, uh, Tom Hanks was supposed to die. Whoa. And because he was sort of eclipsing at the moment in terms of star power, and he was, he was that kind of thing, yeah. uh, Imagine Entertainment, the Ron Howard company, they were like, listen, we're not going to kill Hanks. <laughs> We've got we to keep mm-hmm. him alive somehow. Uh-huh. And so I know, I, I wonder, do you remember that from that script? Is that something that was in there? Honestly, I can't remember. Like, I, I think I bought it like maybe 10 years ago. 
and read it back oh, then. Yeah. So it's been, it's been a while, but uh, I think I still have it. I should probably reread it just for fun. I did. I did that with Ghostbusters when I was in college because Ghostbusters for me is what it sounds like the Burbs is for you. I saw that movie like a thousand times and just like know it front to back. And I bought like a script that I found online, but it was like not the shooting draft. It yep. was like an earlier draft. And it's really fascinating to read because it's like you realize how much of the movie was made on set versus like mm. on, on the page. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, that that's really, one I've really heard is definitely like like they were just like doing a lot of winging it on set and just kind of like figuring it out as they went along. Yeah. I mean, I think, I don't know how early the draft I read was, but it is like the loosest thing in the world. you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it is 120 pages, but it's because 40 of those pages are just Jan Aykroyd going on and on about what he wants. Like the ghost sequences. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know? <laughs> yeah. It, 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 it is. You, that movie was definitely like made uh, uh, while they were making it. Um, but I guess, I don't know. That's interesting that it sounds like this was too, which I think you can kind of feel in the movie a little bit. But that is kind of surprising given how, how I don't know, it, it feels pretty tight to me. It has a good rhythm to yeah. it, but I think in a moment-to-moment basis, that's yeah. what makes it kooky is that yeah, it's, that's it's true. loose like that. Yeah. yeah. I, here's the thing I'll ask. This is a parallel that I noticed between The Burbs and Summer of 84 that admittedly the first time I watched Summer of 84 I struggled with and then appreciated quite a bit the second time around that is also something that with the burbs i struggled with at first and it was the the idea that and i guess I, i'm gonna get spoilery here for all of this uh, that's, okay. that's okay we've already done an episode on spoil the okay, okay. spoiled the hell out of it it's been out the, for a while uh, the idea that the that the first suspect or like the first what we think is going on like is what's going on yeah mm-hmm. yeah, yeah and like you know, in Summer of 84, at first, I was like, oh, what's the subversion going to be? Oh, oh, you know, it actually is this guy. Yeah. And, he, and the second time I watched it, it worked for me like gangbusters. And the first time I, I struggled with it. And same with the Burbs, where it was like, I bet they're up to nothing next door. And that's the big joke. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, no, they're up to something. They're up to exactly what we thought they were up to. <laughs> yeah. And so that lack of subver- subversion I rub against at first and then appreciate on repeat viewings. Yeah. I, I don't even know what I'm asking. That's a parallel no, no, no. that yeah. I noticed today. I just... That's it's a good it's a good parallel for us. The subversion is just that like the kids aren't going to win. Yeah, you know, like oh, yeah. for us, that was why we wanted to. That's literally the reason we wanted to make this movie. Like we wrote this before Stranger Things came out, and like no one had seen an '80s movie like you know in a long time. So we were like, this would be really neat, and let's make the version of like Disturbia or The Burbs or Fright Night, where like the kid doesn't win because you know what? If a serial killer lived next door, a successful serial killer, and you figured it out, it would end very badly for you. Oh, yeah. You gotta so, go. Yeah, oh, and we yeah. were just like, maybe they'll let us make that version of the of the um, of a movie. So yeah. that's really what it was all about for us. Is that that's what we wanted to add to the canon of this kind of like this subgenre is you know the kids didn't win. Yeah, and it was definitely a uh, it was a struggle for us too. Like a lot of the early notes on the script that we got were like you know like add more red herrings and like you know the audience is going to want to see this twisty turny and like and we thought you know going into it we we're like no that's what we love about it is that like on page one we kind of tell you who it is and the movie's more of a yeah. cat and mouse like you know if Davy would just let it go like it would be fine yeah. you know but it's all about him just he can't let it go and he just spirals things out of control that way. So that I had a I had a similar experience with your movie to Dan um and and the second time around like really appreciated that about the movie that it is this kind of like it, it as you described it like a cat and mouse game between the two of them um and and I especially appreciate like I do think the end is so great where it's like you know if you had just left well enough alone you'd probably yep. be okay mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. you do kind of find out early in the movie that like 
he might have been his next target in the first place. So like maybe Davey wouldn't have been okay one way or the other, but mm. by sticking his nose in it, he also got his friend killed. And now rather than just being a victim, he's literally going to spend the rest of his life having to like look over his shoulder, yeah, which yeah. is like maybe worse. You <laughs> That's know, it's like the whole thing that brought you into it is your child, you know, adolescent yeah, fear, you know, curiosity. fearfulness. Yeah. Yeah, the second time around, it definitely worked a lot better for yeah. me. And I always ask myself the question of like, is the movie that I'm asking for the one that I actually want? Yeah. And when I started to think about the movie that has more red herrings and all of that, it ends up becoming a very plot-heavy movie yeah. that doesn't have the like resonance of character that ends up being what you know wins the day in Summer of 84 Absolutely, for me. Absolutely, yeah. And so yeah, that was a... But same thing with the burbs. I remember the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, so they, they are killing people? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And then, you know, then, you know, I watch it as an adult and I go, oh, no, this is just about people being assholes. Yeah. You know, what's funny, too, is so many people who have seen Summer of 84 would be like, oh, I thought it was the next door neighbor chick, Nikki. Like, I thought she was the one who was killing people. Mm-hmm. And like, or, or like, you know, they would say, I thought it might have been Davey's dad. Or like, people were like trying to map onto other people, like who they thought. I had it, it on his mom. I called it. I was like, it's the mom. The mom is up to no good. <laughs> I was watching it with my girlfriend and I said it. I was like, I'm so good at this. I'm calling it right now. It is the mom and mark my words. And then it ended. I was like, oh, it was not even remotely the mom. <laughs> You're like, no one has an accent like that. She's got to be killing people. Um, <laughs> I just, I looked at her. I was like, I don't trust yeah. her. But to your point, I do. That Turns a, out great mom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That is a very interesting phenomenon that I is very real because I had I had that experience watching it where uh, when my girlfriend and I were watching it for the first time, we spent the first half of the movie kind of being like, okay, so like, what game is this movie playing? You know, Mm -hmm. like, I think everybody now is looking for that in movies. It's like, what game is the movie playing? How do I get ahead of the movie and get ahead of its game? And uh, we had a really funny experience. We were watching it that first time, which the scene where... uh, Rich Summers' character uh, is just sitting on his front lawn in mm-hmm. uh, in a holdout chair, uh-huh. handing out ice cream to kids that are just like running oh, around yeah, the neighborhood. Yeah. That scene started, and I immediately looked at my girlfriend and I was like, "Okay, nope, he fucking did it." It's, it's <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, that's why we put that scene in there, honestly, because yeah. we were just like, "Let like let's just own it now and and have it be just like we, you know, it's like it's the it's the bomb under the table." Yeah, we know is there, but our main character just doesn't. And we're like, we're going to watch him drive right into a train wreck. You know, yeah, and like yeah. it's the tension that that creates, the turn of the screw, as they say. Like, we, we love those kind of movies. So yeah, um, glad, glad that you guys picked up on that, too. Yeah, yeah. it's a fun scene. I love that just the slow pan across the the slow zoom across the uh, the courtyard or the, the cul-de-sac. Yeah, it's so good. And, and uh, as you're saying, like the tension you get out of that then, too, the, the scenes that sort of follow once once we really know for sure the scenes that follow of him showing up at Davy's house and trying to like have a further conversation with Davy like there's so you know the uh when Davy turns with the binoculars and Rich is then just in the window mm-hmm. uh at the other side with his binoculars looking right back at him there's so much like really good tension once you do know that it's like okay there is no game the game is this is what's going yeah. on yeah, and it like that last half hour then just kind of like gets to fire on all cylinders, which like is so fun. Right. I think. Glad well, you guys to, dug it. To bring it back to the uh, to the uh, to the burbs to the burbs, uh, I think that's what uh, resonated with me most this time was you know exactly what you were saying earlier about Summer of '84 is Tom Hanks the whole time, everything around him is just saying like give it a rest, enjoy your vacation. Mm-hmm. Don't touch it. Enjoy your vacation. His wife, who is constantly just the most sensible person in the movie, (laughs) is just, please, you know, 
step out of it, relax, don't do anything. And he would be fine if he just left well enough alone. Yeah. And that was the most compelling thing about watching the Burbs this time around was just wanting to grab Tom Hanks and strangle him and be like, just relax, uh, man. Yeah, it's don't funny. touch it. Because, like, in the Burbs, Tom Hanks is kind of, like, I mean, basically Art Weingartner, the guy next door, is Davy from the summer of, some, from summer of 84. Like, he's a conspiracy theorist. He thinks everyone's up to no good. Like, he, and he's sort of the one, the bug in, in Tom Hanks's ear. And basically, Tom Hanks is just bored. Like, it's vacation, and he doesn't yeah. want to go to the lake where, you know, where, where it's like his wife wants to go with his kid, and he's just bored. And then, like, this all ends up just, like, happening because he's just got nothing else to do, kind of, you know, and Art's a bad influence. Yeah. Yeah, I thought that was a very funny, like, because uh, I, I also grew up in, like, a, a similar kind of suburb, and it, it's a very funny read on just, like, suburban life, which is just the the sort of encroaching boredom and what that does to a person and feeling like sort of isolated and secluded, but secluded with these other secluded people. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, yep. mm-hmm. One touch that I noticed this time that I hadn't noticed before after they rough up uh, Dick Miller, the trash man and they're emptying <laughs> yeah. out all the trash. Yeah. Yeah. That, tr- yep. that trash remains in yes. the street for the rest of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. That is- yep. That is, yeah, I love it. The whole movie is like you watch the neighborhood just be destroyed by like by what they're doing, you know. And that's like I love it's that. It's such a Joe Dante touch. That's like yeah, a very yeah. much like a his movies are all about like we're gonna stir a little bit of chaos, and then the rest of the movie is just like watching that chaos get worse and grow mm-hmm. and sort of like you know, yeah. destroy whatever setting we've we've sort of established. I like too that it just speaks to the static nature of the place. Is that nobody thinks? Oh, I should go pick up the trash that these idiots you know, dump everywhere. <laughs> they just think, well, the trash man comes every Tuesday, so if we just wait till Tuesday, the trash will go away. Yeah, yeah. And it's right, such right. A, uh, the malaise of suburbia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's amazing watching how, like, in the you know Bruce Dern's intro to the movie, he walks outside and steps in the dog crap, and that's like such a big thing. Like, there's like a little tiny pile of dog poop in my yard, and that's a giant thing. And by the end of the movie, two houses are on fire, <laughs> one of them has been blown up. There's garbage all over the street. You know, it's like they just destroyed the neighborhood. It's just how so angry funny. he is because of the dog shit. Like, he, like it yeah. sets him off. It's like a through line for the whole movie with Walter and his dog shitting in his lawn. So yeah, he's got it so good that a that a dog ship is just a, a downward spiral. Yeah, it's that boredom. <laughs> Interesting fact: Queenie the dog is precious from the Silence of the Lambs. Oh no way! That's Get amazing. Dog. <laughs> yep, Queenie and I precious. envy that dog's career. A dog is a bigger star. <laughs> yeah, that's than a little killer. Seriously, a little after. <laughs> I wish I could step uh, in that dog <laughs> shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. One of the things that made me laugh hardest in the movie was like also just a very Joe Dante thing was the uh, I forget who does it first. uh, Art might do it first. But when they walk up onto the the porch of the uh, of the sort of spooky house and and they literally fall through the porch, it it happens again. Like the next time they get up on the porch to a different character and both his feet fall through at the the same time. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> holding the point. <laughs> I don't know. I think that is like such good physical humor and like nice setup yep. and knock it down. You know what I yeah, mean? Like give it Rube, to me Rube, once and Rube then give Goldberg it to me again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I love how, like, the first time they go, too, it's, like, this awesome pace. Like, Art sticks his foot through the floor, yeah. and then they go to ring the yeah. doorbell. Or, like, they, they the, knock, the doorbell doesn't they work. Knock. Then they knock, and it turns the address to 666. <laughs> then they knock yep. again, and the whole thing falls off and unleashes, unleashes this rage of beans on him. It's amazing yeah. how, like, everything okay. they do is another step. And when yeah. he opens yeah. the door. It's like, stay away, stay away. Oh, yeah. It's, it's a, like, an, like a, an eternal doomsayer. Just please, yeah. go away, go. Yeah. Uh, when the guy yeah. opens the door too there is the shadow of a noose in the yeah. background as well yeah really i'm gonna really? have to watch closer yeah. i didn't notice I, mean, that. I didn't know that, that i saw yeah, yeah there's there's a i believe that there's a noose back there and it's pretty clear <laughs> yeah amazing that's so cool. matt actually knows the uh the actor courtney Gaines, a little bit oh, really? yeah 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 um, it was kind of surreal i met him at an event out here in la and then i was like can i take you to coffee and he's like yeah man and we ended up hanging out for coffee a couple times and just a super good dude um that's really cool yeah, yeah. and he i mean yeah. honestly like his character is so funny in that movie like and then him and rumsfeld like i love at the end when he's like where are you going pinocchio and he like goes and tackles him <laughs> oh good it is really good uh yeah i i just like i don't know joe don uh, he's had such an interesting weird career and like uh, you know i feel like his movies i don't know how to say this right but like I don't know. I feel like they're sort of, no, I guess this isn't true. I was going to say some of them feel like they're getting lost. You know what I mean? But the, I, mm-hmm. I guess they still, you know, gremlins and stuff still definitely has like a big, big life now. Mm-hmm. There's still some For stuff sure. hanging on. There's some screening mm-hmm. matinee every once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. And I think matinee is sort of like a thesis on his career in right. some type yeah. of cheesy yeah. way. Yeah. But he is very much that, that huckster. He has that, uh, yeah, he's a showman. Yeah. I think Gremlins 2 shows it off Dude, I love most of all because he had a blank check and a, you know, you can do whatever you want. We will not, <laughs> you have final cut. <laughs> and so he just went completely bananas yeah. with it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think there's a little bit of that bananas nature in everything he does, but yeah. The Burbs is a good version of that. It is, yeah. I honestly, like, probably my only complaint about this movie is it's like you have Carrie Fisher in your movie and you're not, you don't give her anything to do, you know? That's true. Like, yeah, I, I yep. just, She doesn't do a lot. Yeah, I do. I do appreciate her as the voice of reason, though. For sure, uh, because mm-hmm. I do get the sense that they love one another. But he is, as you guys said, bored. Yeah, and uh, but literally every situation, she is the most <laughs> diplomatic, yeah. democratic person about it. Let's do this. Let's do that. Yeah. Never pushy. Just tries to take care of business. And I really like her as that. Yeah, yeah. As the foil to the madness. I just like yeah. knowing how funny she is. You oh, know, you could milk like, that for yeah, so much more like, humor man, without a doubt. Like a undoubtedly. Do in this movie, yeah. But I appreciate yeah. I, I think that she ends up doing a lot despite not being yeah, given a lot I, to do. Sure. That would be the way I'd say it. For sure, yeah. Yeah. I do love that they at the end of the movie when she drives back into the neighborhood to the chaos that's happened. And like her her from there to the end of the movie, like she's just so accepting of it. You know, she's like, of course this happened. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like my idiot husband and his idiot friends. You know, it's so good, like how downplayed that is. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That, I, I think I think we're basically at the 30 year anniversary of the movie, too, by the way. Oh, that's true. Yeah. 89. Right. That's when it came out. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah, I think I remember there's a Blu-ray with some new stuff on it, like some some like you know, uh, never before seen footage and stuff. I think. Yeah, you know what? I was reading a lot about this movie today, and there was a lot of talk of a lot of extra footage existing due to all of the cuts that had to be made. That's interesting. And I have a couple of them that I could knock off right here. I'll do it. Instead of bones in the trunk, yeah, there is footage of dead cheerleaders in the trunk. Oh my Whoa. god. <laughs> Another one where apparently these didn't test well. Yeah. And uh, the other one is the two trash men. 
because they knew the secret. So Dick Miller and company were the bodies in the trunk. Well, I like that what they landed on was just like, it can't be specific bodies. It just has to be bodies, you know? Mm -hmm. I I like the specific bodies because it makes the script feel tighter, but the kookiness, I think, does require the bones where it's just got to be madness yeah 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 i guess you yeah. just i love that the entire trunk is full too you know like they talk about we killed the naps your next door neighbors they're old people who didn't leave and then when they open the trunk there's like at least like you know six skulls yeah. in there. Yeah. you know like it's like just bodies and bodies yeah. it's amazing yeah it's a month's work yeah i i uh, another piece of trivia that i pulled out which is interesting because i did the backlot tour where this was shot oh yeah when i when i visited la and we went to the neighborhood that was the neighborhood from Desperate Housewives mm. and it, mm-hmm. this exact same neighborhood. Right. And Walter's house in the movie is the one house that over the years has not been updated. And what I remember from the tour, the reason for that being is it's just an office. Oh, yeah. <laughs> there's, just, no. there's a writer's room in that house and they just it, there's an office in there because there was space. Yeah. So oh, anytime cool. that this that this cul-de-sac is used, they just, you know, it's built up. But Walter's stayed, house yeah. remains. That's it is it is it is kind of interesting thinking. that they have all these bones in the in the trunk of their car but they've got the furnace downstairs in their basement where they're like, <laughs> like getting rid of bones. I wonder why they put the bones in the car. The movie's falling apart for me right now. I'm not a yeah, fan, but- right? I'm just like I'm lo- it's just losing its <laughs> <laughs> I actually have a good reason for that. It speaks to the madness. Yeah. They're not they're not burning bones to get rid of the evidence. They're burning bones because okay. they like to fucking burn shit. Yeah, yeah. And so put it in our trunk because we're crazy people. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Their, their whole furnace thing like sounds like a fucking spaceship is taking off every time they use it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The most yeah. conspicuous furnace murders murderers that have ever lived. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's probably why they got a trunk full of bones, is they can only do like a finger's worth of bones at a time with that crazy contraption. You, you know, know though, I mean? that's actually an interesting kind of gag in and of itself, is that they are the most suspicious and weirdest neighbors oh, ever. Yeah. And yeah. if Tom Hanks was not getting involved, they would have just gone on being completely suspicious oh, yeah. and everyone would have just left them alone mm-hmm. out of politeness. If, yeah. you, if you want to put Art like, would have kept talking shit. But... Yeah. yeah, but nobody listens to Art. If you want to put no. like a very 2019 spin on the movie, it's like this movie is about like trusting your instincts and like, look, see something, say something. Like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. like yep. if, you know, if you if your instincts tell you like something's wrong with my neighbor, like maybe you should listen to yourself, you know, like also, don't doubt yourself. also in 2019 instincts, it's still it's kind of saying like back off, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's so funny. Well, um, I guess we we probably only have like a few more minutes here with you guys. So um, what are you guys like working on now? Is there I know you said you had some irons in some fires. Is there anything uh, that you can tell us about or or uh, not not just yet? Um, well, there's there's I think two projects that we could probably mention um, or maybe three. Uh, we, we're supposed to we're hoping we're going to be uh, making our directorial debut next year with a, a script. Um, called The Knocking, which is like a, uh, a mystery horror movie. Um, but that's kind of, I can't, we can't really say anything more than that, but it's, I think it's something people would really dig. Um, you know, it'll be low budge, so it'll be definitely very indie feeling. Um, but we're, we're, we're super excited about that. We have um, a TV series that we wrote that is sort of in the, uh, it's, a, it's based on the urban legend Polybius. I don't know if you guys have heard of that. Oh, the, uh, the arcade game, yes. Oh, yeah, you told mm-hmm. me Yeah, exactly. That, yeah, yeah. Oh, so right it's on. sort of like as a jumping off point, like the, the series opens in 1981 when that conspiracy theory was, or that sort of uh, mythology was 
um, being birthed. And we see kind of what happened in 1981. And then we smashed to present day and we follow a group of, you know, 17 year old kids um, on this kind of journey. And I think, I think it'll be a little bit like a really cool, scary sci-fi thriller series. Um, yeah. And a lot of people have actually flagged that in summer of 84, you see the arcade game in the background at the bowling Dan, alley. Dan pointed that out. This is why yeah. I know what it is. Cause Dan and was it, like, yo, they made a really cool reference in that movie to this like fake arcade game thing. Yeah. That was, that was not accidental. We were writing the TV pilot at the time and you know, Matt was kind of like, Hey, we should throw this in, you know? And so it's a, it's a little Easter egg for hopefully our TV project that comes yeah. out soon. That is very uh, cool. And sounds very cool. I did a deep dive for like six months into Polybius shit. <laughs> I just, I loved digging into that kind of shit yeah, mm -hmm. that, I'm yeah it'll be a fun yeah. series <laughs> for sure good. and then i mean you know hopefully hopefully Sweet. that that uh continues to roll forward it's, it's got some progress right now so hopefully there's more to report soon and then the only other one is a project that we're uh we're super excited about that we wrote called angel of dust which um this guy sean reddick is producing he produced get out and black klansman and rizza from the wu-tang clan is directing name. it and the wu-tang clan are doing an original score and it's kind of like a horror movie uh, it takes place kind of in the hood, present day. Really, I think it'll be a fun, scary, scary like movie that I think people will really dig. So we'll see. Hopefully, that that one we think is going to be shooting early next year. So we shall see. Souls. Yeah. Soul times ten. Holy Good hell, yeah! Listen, oh, this is so exciting, guys. So you, we can never lose touch because these three things sound very incredible, and I need to cool. know more about them and and uh, uh, keep up with them through you guys because uh, sure. that all sounds very exciting. That's awesome that you guys are uh, hoping to direct your own movie too. That's very exciting. Yeah, cool jump for us. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, a yeah really for exciting. sure. Steve, did I miss any projects? Um, <laughs> I mean, we have other things, but I don't know if we can talk about any of them yet. So uh, three is pretty good. good. To have. Nice. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, well, listen, gentlemen, thank you so much for uh, being on the show here with us today. We we really appreciate it. Yeah, thank it. you. Guys. Yeah, thank and, you. Uh, we we're big fans of your movie, and uh, we are very much going to look forward to your these future projects because uh, and would love to talk to you about them more. Like if um, you know, uh, as one of them is uh, kind of like getting ready to come out and stuff. If you guys want to promote it or or whatever, like please come back and talk to us and chat about it. That'd be amazing. That'd be great. Yeah, we're big yeah. fans of your podcast, so let's definitely yep. stay in touch, and uh, and we'll we'll uh, we'll talk again soon. Yeah. So, where can people find you guys on the internet if that's a, a thing you want people to be able to do? Sure. Um, on Twitter, I'm at at the right sj smith and write with a w like a writer. <laughs> and uh, I'm at matthew g leslie. Um, and then we Twitter. have a uh, we have a website also smithandlesley.com that kind of we need to update a little bit to be honest, but you know yeah. it's there if you want to look for us. Cool. Very good. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thanks, gentlemen. Um, and uh, yeah, thank you guys so much. I don't. Uh, I think Dan and I will just kind of close it up here. Um, so uh, hopefully we'll get to talk to you guys again sometime soon. That sounds awesome. Good, good chat, guys. guys. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Thanks very much. So uh, my name is Garrett Smith. Or oh, you know what? Let us plug our stuff. We're on uh, like Twitter and Facebook and all that kind of stuff at I Like Two Movie. It's numeric two. Um, you can email us. I Like Two Movie at gmail dot com. Uh, send us an email. Tell us about a movie you just saw. Tell us about a movie we should see. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Philadelphia. It's with an F and uh, cinema76.com is where I do most of my writing. At Dan Scully on everything. Twitter, Letterboxd, all that fun stuff. Cinema76.com. Findy.com just wrapped up my film festival coverage. So check that shit out. And uh, yeah, that is it for me. Yeah. So we're going to wrap this up. We're going to do a little round robin thing here. You guys will pick it up. You uh, just called it round robin. Like yeah. Supermarket. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my name is Garrett Smith and I like to movie movie. My name is Dan Scully and I like to movie movie. My name is Steve Smith, and I like to movie movie. I got it. And yep. my name is Matt Leslie, and I like to movie movie.
And we all know that you liked a movie movie because we, we like, like to movie. movie.